welcoming you back to Unreal Times. My name's Naomi, export manager and get shit done manager at Unreal Fur. PJ Smith, the director of fashion policy for the Humane Society of the United States. For nearly a decade, PJ has worked with top fashion companies, including Gucci, Prada, Chanel, Michael Kors, Zara, Farfetch, Netta Porter, Armani, and InStyle magazine to implement forward-thinking animal welfare policies that have reformed supply chains and revolutionized the way that the fashion industry views animals. In 2010, he helped pass the Federal Truth in Fur Labeling Act, which entailed clear and proper labeling for all fur products, in addition to working with brands and retailers to announce fur-free policies, PJ is currently helping drive innovation by passing fur bans in cities and states across the country. Hey, PJ, how are you? I'm well, how are you? I'm doing very good, thank you. Whereabouts are you in the world? I'm in Austin, Texas. Um, I never thought I would be in Austin. I've always jumped around to, to um, fun cities like Portland, Oregon, and then um, I grew up in Ohio, and I spent the last uh, eight years in Washington, D.C., working at the Humane Society of the United States, and I had an opportunity to go um, to a city that I mean, it's, it's great music. It gets really hot here, but really good tacos. Um, and my <laughs> here. And so I jumped at the opportunity to work remotely um, and be close to all my friends who are having kids and uh, settling down. And so I'm, I'm Uncle PJ to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> So tell us a little bit about what you do at the Humane Society. I'm the fashion policy director, and what that means is I work with uh, companies uh, to take steps in the right direction um, and move away from products like fur. Um, the, it, the Humane Society of the United States has had a, um, a different sort of path to working on the fur issue. We we started in around the mid 2000s um, when there was in 2005, there was a, a video released of a species called a raccoon dog that was being skinned alive in a live market in China. And um, we started questioning like, what is this raccoon dog? Um, finding out more information about that. And then how is it coming into the United States? And we started seeing, like, looking at the labels and looking at the advertisements and realized, okay, we see raccoon coming from China. Um, we're seeing tanuki, uh, fin raccoon, uh, all these different, like, weird trade names um, for this one species. But we also kept on finding this species being sold as faux fur um, by some of the, the main retailers here in the United States. And so we started doing a little more digging. We realized that there was a loophole in the federal legislation that said that if the value of the fur was less than $150, it didn't have to be on the label. So if you look at everything on, is everything on the label, you're going to see polyester, acrylic, 
But if it was the trim on a jacket or a palm on a hat, it didn't have to be on the label. So a lot of copywriters would just see everything else on there on the label and then would see the fur and they'd, they'd think it was faux fur. So they would write it down and or put it on the online advertisement or the label. And this became a huge problem. Um, these consumers that would be looking for faux fur or being duped to buying real fur. So we, we tried to bring a lot of attention to it. And um, in 2010, uh, President Obama signed the Truth and Fur Labeling Act that said that the fur um, sold within the United States had to have the species, the name of the species, um, the country of origin, and how um, in country of origin, those are the main two parts. And um, so it closed that loophole. So all fur had to be labeled. And they had, I think this was, they had a three-year phase in. So fur in the United States didn't really even have to be labeled um, until 2013. Uh, something really cool that happened after that was Switzerland went a step further um, with their labeling and advertising. And they said, if is going to be sold in Switzerland. It has to have the species, country of origin, and how the animal was raised or killed. So um, it would say raccoon dog from China raised in a wire bottom cage. And I can tell you, I've worked with many companies that say, well, we're just not going to sell fur in Switzerland anymore. And I think that gave you a, a good insight into knowing that they just don't want their consumers to be uh, um give a little bit of information so they know that, that, that that's something that they won't want to be associated with. It's just amazing to see how people, when they have the origin or understand where it's come from, where it's sourced for, they don't want to have the association with it. But really, with something like an animal byproduct, it is our responsibility to know those things. Um, it, the most important thing, in my opinion, about the fur fight is to raise the education and the awareness within the younger communities who aren't aware that their puffer jackets are made of down and what is down or what is where are their leather jackets coming from. So I think a lot of this comes also down to re-education. Oh, for sure. I mean, even on the fur issue, I think a lot of people on um, the younger generation disassociated the fur trim or that palm on your on the hat or even like a trinket on a, a purse that was like a fur palm um they didn't associate that with their grandmother's fur long like full length fur coat and so i think that that's why there was some of this resurgence but you're 100 right like education um is crucial and i think with the internet and all the amount of information that's out there um, you can easily find it. Um, and I think that that's, that's where um, really this younger generation's pushing these brands um, to be more transparent and to be more socially responsible. And I mentioned that the Truth and Fair Labeling Act happened in 2013 when it was finally phased in, but it was only a couple years later when some of these really big brands um, – started announcing these fur free policies. Uh, I think it started with uh, Hugo Boss in 2015 and then Armani in 2016. Um, and I think it was, th they finally saw that this was marketable. Um, they already, they saw that if they made these announcements that they were getting uh, a lot of praise on social media um, and um, they, they were reaching that, that younger generation that was gonna have the buying power um, in the very near future. And that's just 
it's continued down that path where most of these big brands now have gone for free um, and they've made the really big announcements I, I, with Gucci. It was one of the most liked Instagram posts at the time um, with Prada when they went for free. It was one of the most liked posts on Twitter. Um, and so this has then led to a lot of our work on um, now we have the corporate uh, side of it. Um, everyone's kind of gone for free. We are working on public policy where we're getting uh, cities and states across the United States to uh, ban fur sales. And I know that that's going to be something that's going to be picked up in, in the UK. And um, I really see that that's, that's going to be the really the big next push for the fur free movement. So Humane Society worked really closely with some of these luxury brands to make the move to Faux. How did you do that? Yeah, well, so because we initially were working with a lot of these brands to make sure that their labels were right and their advertising was correct, because we could all come to the table and say, we don't want consumers being duped. Um, and so we ended up just having some really good relationships with a lot of these retailers and brands. Um, and what sort of happens after we had that that relationship? Um, the next question was, can we help you? Can we find a humane source of fur? And I remember when I heard that, I heard it from brands like Michael Kors and and, and Gucci, and they're just like, okay, well, what's out there that what's the most humane fur? And I I remember at first being like, I don't, that doesn't exist, but um, let's let's try and <laughs> to find it, knowing that this doesn't exist. And so now, when I hear that from a company, when they're like, "Well, we're interested in finding a humane source of fur," I'm so I would say, "Sure, let's do it," because I know that through that process, they're going to be educated. Um, like you said, education is key. They're going to be educated about where these products come from. Um, and if a company does their homework and actually dives into some of these issues, they're not going to like what they see. Um, some of these brands have even gone to the fur farms to really check for themselves. And when they come back, they say, all right, we're ready to go for free. Um, so that little, again, that little bit of transparency, um, is not a friend, uh, to the, the fur industry. We're in a very unique time, I think, globally, uh, where with COVID and knowing that this pathogen's been transmitted from animal to human, where we're seeing a raise awareness towards animal cruelty across the globe. China being one of the hotspots, obviously, because of their relationship towards the animal kingdom, whether it be through the exotic animals they eat, also very big players in the fur industry. You know, fur is always very something that's historical, um, gives you power and credibility within their culture. Now, uh, with this awareness, the close down of wet markets, we're in a unique opportunity to re-educate to how do you feel that this situation will forego and further push your mission uh, to eradicate fur from fashion? Yeah, I think that there's I think there's a link um, between the fur industry, especially in China and future pandemics like uh, COVID-19. Um, if you look at some of these and you can you can find the link in past pandemics with SARS um, coming from civets 
um, that were consumed for meat, but they're also raised for perfume, for the perfume industry. And um, that's where SARS came from. MERS came from a bat biting a camel or somehow getting transmitted through a camel to humans. Um, so the link between animals to humans is, is quite known at this point. Um, and we keep on getting this warning that we need to do something about it. And I think COVID-19 is, is really just the latest warning. And I think it's, it's impacted everyone um, to figure out how do we make sure that we don't have this happen again. Um, and the link between these wild markets in Asia and transmitting the viruses to humans is, is pretty clear. Um, and when you look at the, 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 how large the fur industry is in China, these um, wildlife markets um, in Asia, around 75% of the entire sector is uh, the entire trade is the fur sector. So it's it's a real driver for a lot of these these markets, these wet markets. And um, it's just I think it's just going to be more and more clear that we need to end these this wildlife trade um, in Asia. But we also need to not give in or to that demand, um, not to drive that demand. And so I think it's going to be really just ending the fur trade in general just because of how how prominent is in some of these wildlife markets. So I think uh, there's going to be a big time for self-reflection, not just for people, um, but for companies that are going to want to make positive impacts in this world. And there's going to be a, a new found tr demand for transparency. I think it was already happening, but I think it's going to be even more so after all this. Um, and when it comes to some of these supply chains, I mean, we talk about um, fur mostly um, in this podcast, but um, the exotic skin trade, um, I mean, it's, it's really difficult to be transparent because of uh, just it's, it's a really gruesome supply chain and trade in general. So I think there's going to be um, hopefully a big push for these big brands to finally say we're going to be focusing more on innovative materials um, that are high quality um, and really leaving the animals alone, because I think the link between these pandemics and animals is, is quite clear at this point. It's so interesting that you say innovative uh, materials, because really there's, there's no excuse to use real fur anymore. Uh, unreal fur, we master in FOFA. That's our specialty. And the capability and innovation that's coming into fibres at the moment is will change history in the way of what we're producing our clothing out of or the ability to be biodegradable or degradable. And really, there's no excuse to go to real fur. I think a lot of these organisations are... Um, using the term sustainable, you know, wanting to be sustainable. And when it comes to fur, there's always the big question, okay, if I go real fur, um, it's killing the animals. But if I go faux fur, it's, it's bad for the planet because it's synthetic fibres. But that's no longer the case um, because we are able to make faux fur out of biodegradable and degradable 
uh, fibers. And if we all come together as suppliers and start to re-educate our fabric mills and invest in the innovation and the new machinery to be able to progress this into a commercial operation, together with, uh, you know, organizations like the Humane Society, we could really see for the first time in history the eradication of fur within the fashion industry, and that's exciting. Yeah, no, I think it's just even in the 10 years that I've been working at the Humane Society, um, I've seen a shift in in fashion, especially in the luxury sector, where um, this idea of what luxury is has changed. I mean, it's now synonymous with who's the most socially responsible, who's the most innovative, who's going to come up with that great thing that's going to solve the world's problems. Um, and uh, I think you're 100% right. I think with some of these alternatives that are coming out and continue to come out, um, especially on the, the, the fur alternatives, um, it's going to make it more and more obsolete, have a reason to have real fur because um, it's going to keep you just as warm and it's going to have the same aesthetic um, and it's going to be innovative. And that, I think that's really cool. And it's, it's amazing to see what your work, what you guys are doing at Unreal, um, just to make not only um, save animals from, from horrible, horrible situations and cruelty, um, but you're, you're making a product that is, is, like you said, biodegradable and better for the environment. And I think that that's, that's what everyone, that's going to be the perfect response for there's just no need to do this anymore and, and that next generation is is quite lucky that they'll be the first to really have a, a good like you said sustainable socially responsible product um yet they're just readily available definitely and i see the exciting thing is that the youngest generation are the people who are supporting it um, and jumping aboard the fauvolution, as we like to call it, where we're raising <laughs> awareness towards conscious consumerism, um, more so than just, you know, cruelty-free fashion. I think it's if you if we all become conscious in the way that we consume, whether it be fashion, food, medicine, whatever you're consuming in, um, then we would be able to make huge progress. Um, into transparency and eradicate a lot of these very harsh and horrible industries. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I see everything through the lens of um, fashion um, and fur and exact skins and things like that. But if you look across the board, I mean, a lot of my colleagues are working on other issues, um, but the, it's it's all following sort of the same um, model of more and more consumers are being educated. They are, um, their attitudes are changing towards animal and they, animals and they, they want the best welfare possible. Um, and then this is really spurring a lot of companies to want to do well uh, by doing good. And so they're coming up with these policies and, and that's fueling innovation um, and that's happening on the food sector. It's happening with testing on animals. It's happening with animals and entertainment. I mean, where there's just no reason to have some of these um, industries anymore, and they're changing very, very quickly. So it's it's great to be part of that. And I mean, fashion industry is uh, 
has always been a leader on a lot of these issues. And, and I think it's going to be um, on the animal welfare side as well. I wanted to thank you for all of your hard work you've done in fashion. Um, I followed you closely on your journey from afar down, down under. And <laughs> I'm so impressed to see everything that you've managed to do and how strategic you are in your approach um, and thought out, you know, never to confronting and always allow them to come to the realizations by themselves. So yourself and the Humane Society have done a huge, huge effort to really revolutionize the fashion industry. And it's been a ripple effect. You see countries all around the world banning uh, fur within fashion weeks. And really, I think uh, Humane Society is the seed that's growing into that big fruitful tree. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, we couldn't be able to do it unless there were good alternatives out there. Um, and so the better the alternatives, the, the more likely companies are going to start taking a position, the more likely legislators are going to say, we don't need this stuff anymore. Um, and, and so I thank you for really driving that, um, having in especially, um, materials or alternatives that are, um, good for the environment as well, biodegradable, um, that's huge. Cause I, I know the fur industry is, is really pushing, um, don't drop fur because faux fur is bad. Um, well, when I work with a company, I'm never asking them to use faux fur. Um, and real fur has some horrible environmental implications. Um, really just they're factory farmed at this point. And so you can imagine the waste and um, runoff that goes into our rivers and um, into the soil, as well as the tanning process, which is, I mean, it's meant to keep... Um, skin from rotting. And so, um, I mean, I, I think that it's just, it's going to be crucial to keep on pushing, um, to have more and more alternatives be, um, uh, good for the environment and, uh, sustainable. So, um, I thank you for really pushing that. I think it's huge. Thank you. We're also big believers in copy left, which you'll probably hear about in one of our other podcasts, um, but joining a movement where we share ideas rather than copyright the ideas, because there are amazing alternatives out there right now. There's uh, pineapple leather, mushroom leather, cactus leather. Um, you've got amazing innovations. They're all copyrighted. So uh, to allow the accessibility to brands to use that commercially makes it much harder where if we all share these ideas as suppliers, we're really able to create a ripple effect within the industry because everyone will be able to go out and create the correct machinery or re-educate their fabric mills or use these fibers throughout whatever process of design and development. Um, so I think the most important key here to really changing the industry is uniting um, in sharing ideas rather than copywriting them. Yeah, that's that's 100% right. I mean, you would know better than me, but when I talk to some of these companies, when they do make that switch to to new materials, to faux fur, um, a lot of them 
are, are left out of that conversation because so many of the bigger companies are signing NDAs with um, FOFR manufacturers and trying to push them to be more socially responsible and more environmentally responsible. And so um, there really should be an open source for, for everyone to have access to some of these materials so that we can, I mean, we, that change would happen a lot quicker, I imagine. Yeah, for sure. Um, one positive message that you have from every, for everyone listening that could come out of this situation, what would it be? I would say just enjoy the, the simple things. Um, like right now, um, I, I don't have much, many places to go, but I'm finding real enjoyment um, from walking my dog um, and talking to my family um, more often and even friends. I mean, there's been a couple you know, zooming with friends. It seems like everyone's doing that. Um, I, it's it's silly that we we haven't been doing this before. I mean, these are some of my really good friends that will go, you know, six months without talking, and now we're talking once a week. And what changed? <laughs> I mean, um, we are finding the time to really enjoy um, the simple things. And so, I mean, I'm getting tired of TV, so I'm uh, trying to bake bread. And then I see a headline that says, like, why everyone's baking bread. And I was like, oh, man, I thought I was the only one. <laughs> so I think that there's like a real uh, focus on being mindful, um, being f- thankful and enjoying some of these simple things. Um, and, and really, I mean, just to bring it back full circle to, uh, to like things like fur I mean, we're going to start looking at what we think is essential and what we don't think is essential. And I think it's pretty clear um, that things like fur are, are not essential in our lives. And there, there's really no need to add that sort of suffering into this world. Um, so I, I, I'm very optimistic that we're going to come out of this a lot stronger. Um, and hopefully everyone is staying healthy out there. Um, I, I'm thinking about all those people out there and with job loss and things like that. It's, it's, it's going to take a lot of uh, time to rebuild, but I, I think we'll be stronger for it.